0: Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: And we're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. And my co-host, psychic, and favorite son-in-law, Kirk Reed, is keeping me company this morning. Or I'm keeping him company. Depends on how you define this. Yeah, I don't know. That. Something like that. Anyway, we're having a little fun here, skipping around the financial world, trying to get you up to speed on some things that might, might help you out in life a little bit. That's our goal here. And so let's see. First of all, I think I need to do a summary of the first hour of the show. Okay. Okay. I'm a good one for macroeconomic points. Simple. And you have crap after, yep. after your name. Yep, yep. So what and I've got <laughs> <laughs> So what have we learned in the first hour? So number one, we've learned that everybody worries too much about taxes, that lots of folks let taxes determine their actions about investing in other things which is not particularly wise. And by the way, of the people listening to me, eh, maybe 90, don't know their tax bracket, and about 100% of the people listening to me don't know the dollar amount that they paid the federal government in the state of Massachusetts last year. I stand by those comments, or very few. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the taxes. What have we learned about taxes? Deal with them, and I hope you're in a high tax bracket. (laughs) Uh, Okay, moving right along. Okay, macroeconomic point number two. One does not know the future, and one should not make one's investment strategy depending upon what one thinks is going to happen in the future because it won't work that way that's a good one okay number three okay long term investing has higher odds than short term speculating my terms by the way okay you can try to figure out the future tomorrow and the next day with recessions or market crashes you can say I think the US economy and a bunch of the economies in the rest of the world are probably going to continue to grow with hiccups and excitement and just buy three or four thousand companies all over the planet and hang on to them ask Warren Buffett about that folks long term is a higher probability than short term okay let's see next one cannot predict the future, but one can plan for the future. That's much better, by the way, okay? And then let's see. Oh, yes. Live within your means. Live within your means. Om. Okay. What? One more story. This is a financial advisor story. I love this. Okay. Okay. Occasionally, we see folks walk in our door who have lived within their means all of their life, okay, have saved more money than they needed and don't know how to spend it. Folks, if you've got to have a financial problem, I just described two good ones to have given the circumstances, okay? I make fun about this, but we have two kinds of meetings with clients. We have the meetings where they say... We think you need to live within your means and spend a little bit less, or we, we have the fun discussions. You need to spend more money. You, you can leave all this money to your kids. Mm-hmm. Accumulated all this, have some fun. The folks who funniest and coolest thing about folks that live within their means, it's hard to get them to spend money and loosen up when they get to retirement. But boy, if you got to have a retirement problem, folks, that's the problem you want to have.
0: And there's usually. If it's a if it's a couple we're talking to, there's usually one that jumps on that and be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> but, but think about
1: it, isn't it difficult to do that? Yes, it really is. We call
0: those happy meetings. That's, yeah. I think that's what makes people good savers, right? Yeah. Is there's their mindset. They live. And then how do you change that mindset?
1: Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the behavior. The last yeah. ma- behavior, macroeconomic yeah. point is your behavior is much more important than your knowledge. Okay, <laughs> about investing. That, okay. that will probably dictate your success yeah Uh, thank you it will uh, absolutely it's the other i say this i say stupid things once a while but they're exaggerations that make sense let's see okay if you're a whiz kid saving money and think you know the future okay if you invest a dollar a week for your retirement you're probably going to be in trouble or ten dollars a week or a hundred dollars a week okay okay if you're somebody who by default Saves two or three thousand dollars a month that they don't know how it happened. Okay, but you invest in something that makes no money. You're still better off. I would rather have somebody. We see it in the financial planning. How much you save is more important for most folks than what you earn. Correct on what you save. Correct. If you're the best investor in the world and save ten bucks a month for retirement, you got a problem. And if you're the worst investor in the world and save three thousand dollars a month for retirement starting at age twenty-two, you got a problem too. But it's a good one, no. given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the live within your means. Okay. All right. So now we're going to hop on to a, another little bandwagon here. Okay. And the bandwagon is the financial media and prognostications or forecasts about the future of the economy and the market mm. and stuff like that. I love this. Okay. And this is an article from a service I subscribe to called in, advi, Inside Information, which is basically a, an industry publication for, for registered investment advisors, basically. And the fellow who owns that site is a guy named Bob Fierus, who's probably as old as I am, maybe a little bit older. And uh, he's got a really good. I've, pulse. Seen, I've seen him before at some yeah. of those the conferences yeah, he's, and seminars. An, he's an old dog, and he's still with it. The okay, thing. Anyway, he's got. Let's tla- sometimes. He gets carried away and gets a little too fine, but good guy, lots of good information. And he has a, some, somehow or other, he must have some employees who write some letters that theoretically we could use for our clients. We like to write our own letters, but this is a letter that they, somebody on his staff written, which I think is kind of cool. So I'm going to read it, okay? Maybe without even commentary along the way. Let's see. <clears throat> Faulty forecasts. Okay. Individuals with advanced economic degrees and economists that are employed sometimes at astronomical salaries at the big brokerage firms have inside data that tells them where the economy is going with a question mark. After all, their views are routinely sought out and published by the major news outlets, so they must know something that we don't know. <clears throat> the interesting thing about these various predictions is that nobody ever goes back and assesses whether the predictions and forecasts were, with the benefit of hindsight, actually accurate and helpful. Uh, That's what I was talking about earlier. I'm getting, I'm getting i getting excited. I, yeah. I want to start tracking this, though. Uh, yeah, okay. Exactly. Until now. A new report by researchers at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, gathered up the consensus forecasts from three popular economic surveys including from chief financial officers at large publicly traded firms and the economists at the conference board and compared them with actual market events that occurred after the bold and confident forecasts. Here we go. The result. The authors found that in every case, the predictions were less accurate in predicting what would happen short term and long term in the market, okay than what economists call a random walk which can be compared by throwing darts assuming you have no skill at darts. <laughs> okay, so they're comparing the rate of success yeah. of smart experts okay with throwing darts for investing. Okay. The gains listed in the researchers final table range from -0.99% in 1 year to -18.19% over 6 months. Not the kind of market returns that most of us aspire to so my conclusion is you do the exact opposite of what they're predicting and you'll probably be okay okay
0: anyway and i think the other point is the time frames that they referenced are short yeah and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be doing things based on (laughs) short time frames anyway so don't another just another reason not to listen to these articles yeah
1: all right this confirms a long-standing experiment with the Wall Street Journal conducted that the Wall Street Journal conducted some years ago where expert stock pickers named stocks they expected to outperform over the next three to six months and the journal's reporters threw darts to pick a comparison portfolio. Most of the time, the dart throwers outperform the expert stock pickers. Okay? Are you listening, folks? (laughs) Okay? Are you listening? So, one might ask, why do the news outlets seek out... The predictions of economists and Wall Street analysts. The answer seems to be for entertainment value. Most of us like to think we know what's going to happen. And having a person with an advanced degree and seven-figure salary dressed in an inexpensive business attire telling us what is going to happen provides a sense of comfort and maybe a temporary solve to the anxiety that comes with the uncertainty that we all live with in the real world okay let me quote those numbers again (sighs) University of Washington yeah, in Missouri. They take three great big surveys conducted by three different outfits, where they tracked investment wonks. Okay, that' a good term. Investment experts with production predictions from banks and brokerage firms. Yep. and this is going back a whole bunch of years. So it's like a mega story here. Okay, and they found out. So I'll read this. The authors found that in every case. The predictions were less accurate. The predictions were less accurate in predicting what would happen, short term and long term in the market than what economists call a random walk, which can be compared to throwing darts, assuming you have no skill at darts. The gains listed in the researcher's final table range from minus 0.9%, minus 1% in one year, or a little over minus 18% over six months, not the kind of market return that most of us aspire to. Your comments? I think, again, I mentioned about the short-term, that those are really short-term
0: numbers, Yep. which we don't really care about, <laughs> nor should you. Your investment experience slash lifetime is not one month to six months, or one year for that matter. It's many years. And I think it's boring though. It's not exciting. It is boring. And I think it's, that's human nature to get (laughs) bored with, to get bored (laughs) with that, with a strategy that, you know, shouldn't we change this? Or maybe I just, I want to change it just because just like you need to get a new car every once in a while, right? It's just, you get bored and it's exciting to get a new car and maybe I want a new investment strategy because the other one, yeah, I was working. But I'm tired of it because it's so predictable. Oh, I'm only earning X percent. I want to. I want some more excitement. And I think that, again, that's just the human nature. But I love the. Uh- that's what I, that's what I've been looking for. Is there's something there like go. this? Some, somebody that's going to track the ridiculous things that the people say in the news and then how they pan out down down the road. I'm going
1: to email this to you right okay. now, All so right. you can. Do they have a daily a daily update? With they have a monthly magazine, but I'll put just put a big X in the subject title. So you know, I don't want to
0: type a whole bunch of things. I think like when we talk about these types of things, the one one of the things that always comes to my mind. We talk about future. I'm sorry, past events that have happened and how they either have or have not affected. Where we are today, usually not, yep. usually not, and how much time we spend talking about them yep. be- because they're in the, because they're in the news because people, these guys, gals, whatever, put them in the news, and then it gets into people's heads that they should be concerned about it, and they want to worry about it, and then ultimately it ends up. Probably becoming becoming nothing, and the one thing that one that always comes to my mind is Greece. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, I forget what year that was. Yeah, but about eight, uh, ten, about ten, twelve years how ago. Many, how many? How much time do we spend talking about that basket case and yeah. people asking questions and
1: people yeah. worried about it? Yeah, yeah. and what yeah. was the end result? Yeah. The, by the way, the, the economy is probably the size of Connecticut. Yeah, <laughs> or something. Like that. Yeah. The end result is nothing. Okay, n- nothing. Okay, uh, but it was in the news, yeah. so it was something to worry about. Yeah. So, by the way, if you believe that nobody knows the future then then my next macroeconomic point is that the financial media you read it for entertainment value not Okay, Because they're going to be right, sort of a thing. And my comment to that is, if you want to read for entertainment value, read a book. Hmm. And by the way, even the fiction books, are. Yeah, at least you know it's fiction. When you're reading a fiction book, you, you don't know when you're listening to it. The, yeah, they, they made a point about, yeah, if so if you think something bad's going to happen, and you hear some financial experts say the same thing, oh, good, I must be right, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Well, nobody knows the future. Just, you just don't. If, yeah, if you're
0: looking for confirmation of your thoughts, and then you see it, then you believe it even though those people
1: yeah. it's not fact yeah. its it, they're just predictions yeah it, it's folks if this radio show, show sounds boring and if we talk <laughs> about big picture stuff that might be common sense but aren't exciting hey that's that—that's how it should be I can think of one more thing before we move on to whatever else i want going to talk about here but so you Probably been doing this how many years now? I think it's 15, I think I'm in my sixteenth year. Wow! Holy cow! I'm in my forty second. Mm. Okay, so anyway, you win. That means I'm old. But anyway, but really long time ago, I decided when I sit down with clients. It might be a good idea to tell them exactly how they're doing as opposed to things going to be specific. So literally about 25 years ago, I decided to start producing performance reports for clients, okay, to show them how their money's doing and to show them like over time how their money's doing. Because there's lots that can be learned. Besides saying this is what's going on, there's so much that can be learned about knowing exactly what your money's doing and then maybe looking at what the market's doing versus bond. And I was terrified to do that at the time because I'd show people that they're losing money. Anyway, so, and so what we do is we sit down with our clients and we push a few buttons and let's say, here's your year to date return. Here's your three year return. Looking backwards, your five years, your 10 years and going back to whenever you started the thing. And when you get out to a certain length in years, and it varies depending on markets and when you started, but people figure out that the long-term returns don't move too much, okay? If you have a bad year, if you've only got three years' worth of history with your financial advisor, you're sucking wind with one bad year out of three. But because markets go up and down, but always higher, okay, and always down less, that's what those mountain charts look like, okay? If you get through, I think if you can get through a couple of up and down markets, that might be eight or 10 years, might be longer than that, You all of a sudden sit down and say, oh, this is like how it works. The world comes to an end. The markets go down to whatever. But then things get better and they went higher than they were the last time. And oh yeah, then the next time they go down, the down is higher than the down before that. So it's like a, a yo-yo going up an escalator if you're watching the yo-yo. But my point is, people look at their long-term returns and they start getting more comfortable and they don't worry about... Most of the folks I work, we talk, we spend 10 minutes talking about the money and 15 or 20 or half an hour talking about family and what's going on because they get it, okay? We, if you're well-diversified, if you have an appropriate strategy that doesn't make you nervous when it goes down, and if you've been doing it long enough, you can actually see i'm my oh you know, let's see my my 20-year return didn't move much yes so for the last 20 years you've been earning this much and they also know that things change if we show people bad returns and time parents, and we say here's what happened guess what a year or two later that changes sort of thing so it's very instructive For me to say, yeah, we're down eighteen percent this year, but by the way, the market's down thirty, and bonds didn't help, and that's why. Oh, I understand that. I Explain, yeah, it's been down before, and so people build confidence and knowledge. Okay, the longer they do it, so the tricky part is having people go through that education on their own. They can't. They probably need a financial advisor, but it gets easier. The longer you go the more folks get it and the more relaxed that they have. You've seen people walk into my office. It's, hey, like old home week sort of thing. I love it, as a matter of fact. But it took a lot of time to get them through some tough times before they started to figure out. If you meet somebody as a financial advisor and it's the absolute top of the market, which you didn't know about, a year later, the market's down 25% and their modified portfolio's down 10 and there. Well, what happened? That's a tough row to hoe to keep him drinking the Kool-Aid that you talk to him about until the things come back up again and go from there. But I think the trick is to get through a couple of bad markets and the longer it goes the more sense it makes to folks. But that's a year's process. And we're looking at financial news as worried about what to do in a recession next week. I can't even reconcile that anymore. Yeah. yeah. Financial news doesn't
0: help. And the things that, you know, if you have a, if you have an account somewhere, you get your monthly statement. And the monthly statement only shows you what happened in the past 30 oh days. Oh my God,
1: it's down at $10,000. That like, might be 2% or 50%.
0: And, that's, and it's never fun to see a negative, but... It's only one month, yep. and it really doesn't matter. Yeah. But that keeps hitting you in the face. You get those things every month, yep. and but the statement doesn't show you long term. It, 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 yeah, it doesn't explain anything. Yeah, it doesn't explain anything. The most typically, the most the statement goes back is year to date, right? Yep. So maybe, maybe yep. by, by on December you, got, you have a year's worth of, of history. Okay, that's something. But it's having being able to go back multiple years. Can tip- typically you can
1: show that yeah. hey this is working this is working over many years yeah and it's it, it makes for boring radio but hopefully it makes for common sense and people get that sort of a thing so anyway moving along so the. Okay, so the last macroeconomic point is the financial media. If you're going to watch, listen, or whatever form you do that stuff in, it's entertainment. Please understand that and don't go plan your future on it because they've been wrong. Mm. Plain and simple. Okay. All right. So let's see. Only about a a couple of minutes here. I got to think about this. Okay. Maybe we can get started with this and we'll make it a cliffhanger so people have to come back in the next half an hour or something like that. All right. Here we go. Change it change of topics here. Can I guard my assets from nursing homes using an irrevocable trust? Mm. Okay. Ooh, that sounds pretty scary. Okay. So this is an article from Smart Asset, and it's July 1st, and it's by a fellow by the name of Mark. Hendrix. Okay. So I'll just start a little reading till Tim yells at me. <clears throat> <laughs> Paying for a nursing home can seriously deplete your retirement savings. No kidding. Okay, the government-funded Medicaid program can pay some or all of your nursing home costs, but it's restricted to people of very limited financial means. You may be able to qualify for government assistance with nursing home costs even if you control substantial wealth if you transfer nearly all of your assets into an irrevocable trust okay and then okay an irrevocable trust can protect your money from nursing home costs but they have costs and drawbacks of their own i'll just leave them hanging with that what do you think all right we're out of here take a break we'll be right back we're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on money. And we're talking a bunch of different stuff today. My son-in-law, Kirk Reed, and business partners with me this morning. And we're teaching the world good stuff to learn. That's it. We speak English. We talk about big picture, important stuff. Macroeconomics. And and we promise we don't know the future, but but you can plan for it, folks. Mm -hmm. That's a secret. Anyway. All right. So here we go. We're talking about hiding your money from medicaid and nursing homes legally okay and the vehicle is an irrevocable trust okay so here we go let me i'll pick up from this article which is on smart asset by a fellow by the name of mark Hendricks. okay let's see you may be able to qualify for government assistance with nursing home costs even if you control substantial wealth if you transfer nearly all of your assets into an irrevocable trust. I'll say, I'll change that and say, if you give away all of your assets permanently to an irrevocable trust. And does it, and does it say may? Yeah, yeah, yeah. may, does it yeah. may, does it say may, yeah. yeah, okay. Anyway, okay, but they have costs and drawbacks of their own including permanently losing direct control of your assets. Okay, so let's see. Irrevocable trust basics. Folks, we're not attorneys and we're proud of that. Okay, (laughs) and we're not masquerading as attorneys, we're just reading some stuff. Okay, we talk with attorneys and have some ideas about irrevocable trusts, but that's from the financial aspects of it, which of which we're very comfortable talking about. But anyway, okay, a trust is a legal entity many people create as part of an estate plan. The trust acts as a container for assets transferred into it by the grantor. I call it a box, but a container is probably more professional. (laughs) Anyway, the grantor is the one who put the money in the trust and started it. A trustee is appointed to manage the assets in the trust for the benefit of one or more beneficiaries. By the way, the trustee... And the grantor are not the same person. If you establish not, not, not in the case of an irrevocable not in the trust. case of an irrevocable trust. Thank you. Okay. So if you're going to create this trust to to protect your money from nursing homes, maybe you need to understand, okay, that A, you gave it away, and B, you don't control it. Okay, somebody not you and not your bride or married whatever uh, is going to be the trustee. All right. So anyway, a trust can be revocable or irrevocable, you can make changes to a revocable trust after establishing it, including removing assets from the trust. Irrevocable trusts, however, cannot be changed after establishment. That means transferring assets to the trust is a one-way process. Once in, assets cannot be removed from an irrevocable or irrevocable trust. I never know which to say, by the way. Oh. How do you say I. Prefer irrevocable. Okay. Yeah, me too. But, uh, you, but you hear it both ways. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you going to make a comment? Well,
0: just that I hear, I hear conflicts about that all the time. People's attorneys saying, "Oh, yeah, you can do this. You can take, you can take some money out for this." Or if all the beneficiaries agree, you can make <laughs> changes and things. And so I don't know. I get more confused by the day. Fluid yeah.
1: is the situation. Yeah. yeah, And I don't know why Massachusetts is nice about not invading trusts. And then sometimes you hear that they
0: do. Yeah. And, and so it's... Okay, sorry. That's you know. okay. I'm touching a nerve here. That's, I can, yeah, I, I guess can, it's just a frustration or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Irrevocable trusts come in several varieties and can help with many different estate planning and other personal finance tasks. Medicaid trusts are the kind used. use to help reduce the impact of nursing home costs. So this is an irrevocable trust, a.k.a. a Medicaid trust, which means hide the money from Medicaid. Okay. More specifically, Medicaid trusts are designed to help people qualify for Medicaid, the government health insurance program. Unlike Medicare, which is not means-tested, Medicaid is only available to people of limited financial means, as in poor. Basically. Okay. The program is administered by states, which determine their own Medicaid eligibility requirements in a variety of ways. In most, the annual income limit is $29,000. Okay, that's probably below poverty levels. And I want to call, qualify my probably poor as not a, meant to be demeaning, but $29,000, you're below poverty level. So that's definition by government. Yeah, that's annual income. Yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. b- bottom line is your income has to be less than $29,000. This cap includes Social Security and benefits, pension benefits, as well as wages and investment income. So, less than 29000 bucks for the federal government here. Financial resources such as bank accounts, investments, revocable trusts, and real estate typically can't total more than $2,000. So, if your income is less than $29,000 and you're, all of the money and stuff in the world come to $2,000, you can qualify for one of these trusts. Okay. <laughs> Or Medicaid, I should say. People who have more income and more assets may have to spend their own assets to pay what? What a what a shame! Spend your own money to pay for your own nursing home care. Pardon me for being insensitive about that. Okay, but anyway, where was I here? Let's see. Is Judge Zell qualify for Medicaid without having to deplete their own assets? After creating the trust, they can transfer in enough assets to bring them below Medicaid's caps. Okay, so I'm down to twenty nine thousand in income and less than two thousand on paper. Okay, once they have done that. Assuming they have followed the rules, Medicaid will pay some or all of their nursing home costs in this way, an irrevocable trust can protect assets from nursing home costs. Keep in mind that some people say it's unethical to use trusts to shield your own assets from Medicaid. It's not illegal, though. Others believe it's perfectly fine, considering the rules and the law set up around Medicaid, ultimately. Wait, whether you used an irrevocable trust to protect your assets from nursing home costs, it will be based on your financial situation as well as your thoughts and feelings on ethics. By the way, I haven't got to the five-year look back. I was just going to ask about that. Thank you. So you, you create this trust. You become instantly legally poor, under, under $29,000 of income and under 2000 of assets, money, houses, whatever, okay? You have to then have five years go by before that works, okay? So, so basically, it's called a look-back period, mm-hmm. okay? And some, by the way, some people... Would do that and leave enough money to pay for five years worth of nursing homes, okay, to get to that period. But that's people with a lot of money and right. a lot of circumstances. Right. But anyway, so that's a trade-off. Okay. So, yeah, it does work, okay, currently. It does have its limitations, okay, and it's really, it is a legal strategy that that, that people employ, okay. Okay, how about your reaction? I'm time to
0: comment here. Just. <laughs> I guess just on that last comment you just made mean, how many people does this apply to yeah. in the real world? Yeah. People that can take five years of so a nursing home is, what, $150,000 a year, plus, yeah. plus or minus. Yeah. And so if you have five years of that that you're able to set aside and then still have more money yeah. left, I don't know how many people that applies to, yeah, 1% no, no. or whatever. Yeah, probably less, so, who knows. So this is, yeah. we're talking about...
1: Again, this is n- financial media that doesn't apply to most folks.
0: A lot, yeah. But people, just like the tax thing, yeah. people are so concerned with yeah. not paying taxes yeah. that they're concerned about not losing their money It's a, a nursing big, home. It's yeah. a big fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I, that's right taxes and the nurse home That's what ring people's bells to the negative if you retire. Yeah. And that's, I think that's
0: just natural. You don't want to, you save this money all your life yeah, yeah. and you don't want to see it. Yeah. You want to see it be used on something that you want versus something that you're being forced into or, yep. or have to do. Yep. And so I think that's why people are captivated by this. And I just, we're not attorneys. And so I, we don't know, we tell people that these are options yep. and you can go seek out an attorney and to figure this out but we often want to show them most of the folks that we work with are average human beings and average assets yep. and if you put your money in here what are you going to live on yeah. what are you going to use to live on for the rest of your life
1: yeah you okay. the your, your your ability to get income from what you put in the trust is very limited and it's very small yeah. by, by and large yeah it, 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 who knows i think Okay, uh, this is just a guess based on clients and our business, but I think the percentage of people who put money in one is smaller than the percentage of people who put a house in one and try to protect a legacy. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it's a guess. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right, so yep. I wanna address that. Okay. Yep. That issue. Okay. Sure. For, for a lot of people listening to us, your home is your largest asset, maybe by a significant amount. Okay, and for a lot of people listening to us, who don't have a lot of other money? A lot of folks want to leave their home to their kids as a legacy because that's like a parent thing, and I get that sort of a thing. Okay,
0: yeah, even though most kids probably don't care about the physical house,
1: unless there's one living there right now. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, the possibility. Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> think I, it's more about the money, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's more about the money for sure. Okay, so I, I think and I've seen this over the years on both sides, but so if your biggest asset is your home, okay and you want to protect it from nursing homes and you put it in an irrevocable trust so here's the you may solve one problem that never happens and you may create another one that will happen the thing okay so let me be specific okay so if if you don't have a lot of money to retire on okay and you have to use some of the equity in your home to be okay then you have a problem if you put money, if you put your house in that irrevocable trust container, okay? Let's see, I'll use the word, okay, let's see. If you wanna, forget about the trust. If you have just your house, okay, and you want to downsize, okay, you sell your house, you downsize your expenses, you probably didn't gain any money giving that. But you can do that inside of a trust, too. You can sell a house, Mm -hmm. buy another one and live. Okay. But remember, you can't get money out of there. So anyway, my my point is, okay, there are a number of folks that come to mind over the years, they're mostly ladies who are widows, okay, who don't have a lot of money and want to leave their home to their kids and they put that in there to protect it what happens if you run out of your what happens when inflation catches up with you if your social security and pension aren't enough and you don't have any other assets or what happens if you spent down those all of a sudden assets and now you're in big trouble and in some way shape or form you have to get at the equity in your home to use that to live in retirement by the way it's perfectly okay to spend your home in retirement if you need to. Yep. I want to be really clear about that, folks. It's your equity. You built it. And if you want to live in retirement and you have to tap that equity in your home, several ways to do that. But if you need to do that, it's okay. Yep. To but if there. you put that... In, I'm sorry. That
0: is, no, that is a that is like a an issue with a lot of folks, uh, it, men-
1: it, mentally, I think. It's a yeah. parental I thing. I don't, don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that. Un- understand. It's You're right. It's a generational thing, maybe even more. It's multi-generational. But my point is that if you, at some point, need to tap the equity in your house, you can't do that if you tucked it inside of an irrevocable trust. It's off the table, okay? I have seen folks in that situation where they can't touch their home, okay, and they have no money and they shot themselves on mm. the foot even though they didn't they, it's an emotional kind of a thing that was an unwise decision okay
0: so they they did that right to because they wanted to yeah, leave they wanted to leave, they wanted, they wanted to leave something yeah, yeah. and now it's i need i need some yeah, help yeah now i
1: need some help, I need yeah. some help. Uh, you put your, everybody yeah. wants to be financially independent in retirement but wanting to be and being able to be those are two different things right. okay we come at this from a different way when we do planning for folks okay We usually go through that exercise and pretend that their home doesn't exist. We don't count their equity in their home. And by the way, if everything looks hunky-dory without counting the equity in your home, and the chances of you ever having to touch equity in your home are slim to none, professionally speaking and analyzed, then you can probably put that house in an irrevocable trust and protect it because you can afford to, okay? But if your financial plan says there's a 50% chance you might have to tap the equity in your home or if mm-hmm. some side kind of a thing, then you have to make a decision. If there was a 50-50 chance you might need some money out of your home, and if you knew that, okay, and it was a professional guess, we're not talking about, you are know, thinking about, would you do that? Would you? I don't know the answer, but you need to know that information before you make that decision, okay? So I think that folks who put their homes in an irrevocable trust need to understand and do the research about saying, I don't need this and never will. Okay, I don't know what percentage of people can say that, but if you don't need it, and we can make some pretty good guesses about that in the planning scenario, we do this for a living and the planning stuff is pretty sophisticated. Most people don't have the wherewithal to go both sides of that and make a decision sort of a thing so it's a big decision okay it, it, you could be solving one problem that you might never have and creating another one that you may well have to think and it's a bet okay and my only point is you need to have enough information on both sides of that to make a decision that when you make a decision to live with it that's how it is a thing but i i think of so many elderly ladies i've known over the years or living, a, or, or by the way, maybe you have some assets. You put it in the house. But if you didn't put it in the house, you could live at this level in retirement. But now you're pinching pennies in retirement because you yeah. wanted to put the house in there. So the other possibility is yeah, you got some money, but maybe your lifestyle in retirement could have been a lot better if you didn't do that. Or maybe your lifestyle in retirement is pretty yucky if you did that sort of a thing. So just. There's no right or wrong, but you got to do enough research to come down on one side or the other. Yeah, as
0: yeah. yes. so I guess, as long as you, under- you understand the pros and cons yeah. of different scenarios, yeah. and then what are your priorities yeah.
1: as an ind- individual, yeah. Yeah. and you make those decisions. But it's such an emotional topic, and it's just it just it's just how it is. Okay, but yeah, I wanted to pass. So think about that, folks. That's all. It's there's no. <sighs> There's no secret magic to anything. There's always a couple sides to an issue. And if you go out and do the research on both sides and make a decision, then you do what you could. Live with it because that's just how it is. All right. So let's see. I got time for one more, I think, here. Okay. So let's see. Spending in the golden years. How much money should I have in an emergency savings account? How much money should I have in my checking? That's boring. <laughs> Top 10 money traps. Okay. See how you fare in retirement by taking the 70% challenge. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. This is a good one. All right, here we go. Okay, yeah. By the way, I even put green flags on some of these emails so I can remember the good ones. Okay. It okay, you know, took you a few weeks to figure that out. Green but, flags. Yeah, green flags. Go. All right. <clears throat> so this is Yahoo Finance from, let's see, it's called see how you fare in retirement by taking the 70% Challenge, Joel Anderson, June 2023. Here we go. One rule of thumb in retirement planning is to plan on replacing at least 70% of your income in retirement. And while there's an abundance of literature out there about how you can build up the sort of nest egg to make it possible, building up your savings is only half the battle. Aha, spending 70% of what you once did before retiring can be just as important. Let's say, Mm oh, folks, if your income's going down by 70%, by 30%, 30%, maybe that your expenses (laughs) go down by 30% too. Hello? Okay. This is not trigonometry (laughs) or calculus. This is addition and subtraction, maybe a little multiplication. Anyway. Okay. Where are we? So, Yeah, spending 70% of what you once did before retiring can be just as important and challenging. After all, you've got a whole lot of time to find new ways to spend money that you didn't have before. Makes sense. However, one great way to tackle this issue is by taking the 70% challenge. Look at what you're currently spending and try to go one month where you cut about a third of that. Okay, then extend the challenge to two or three or four months while stashing away extra money in your retirement savings accounts. Mm. You might even discover that hitting 70% mark is easy and you'll want to keep going to reap the benefits. Mm. By the way, this is a fellow named Joel Anderson and I think he's on Mars. <laughs> okay, maybe Jupiter or Venus, okay, okay. How many people do we know, okay, in our practice who are fairly motivated who could cut down by 70% for three or four months and not complain or do, do that. And we know some pretty motivated yeah, people, right? Think yeah, about that. Yeah. Okay, okay. so the macroeconomic point here, folks, is that, yeah, hello, your income, you, by the way, the good news is your tax bill's going down in retirement. <laughs> the, right. the, the bad news, that means your income is going down in retirement. And yeah, 30% is a guideline. It could be 40 for some people, it could be 20 for others. I, I get all that, but that 30% it, it, there's some number and we'll just use 30 because that's what the article is about. So let me think about this. Okay. How the heck, okay, do you, to adjust your living expenses by 30% down when you were planning on taking a vacation or two to begin with? N- never mind. Who, who wants to, who, if you have a choice, why do you want your expenses to go down in retirement? Right. If you have yeah. a choice, you're
0: right? gonna have more time on your hands. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. Are but, do, how yeah, are you gonna fill yeah, that okay.
1: time? Yeah. Okay. So is my magic solution, okay? And you you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do this, folks. Okay, take your mortgage payment, principal and interest, multiply it by 12, and I'll bet you that's 20 to 40% of your income, 20 to 40% of your expenses, okay? Yep. Okay, okay, and so that, like, the simplest financial planning behavior that people can do on earth that's a no-brainer is to have 30% of your expenses disappear the day you retirement, And the way to do that is to have your mortgage disappear on that same day. Doesn't involve investing in anything other than saving money and knocking down a mortgage. And what percentage of people do you think do that actually? I would love to know the percentage. I don't know. know.
0: I know the people that we work with is whatever those odds are, but across the country, my guess is not, it's
1: not high. Not a whole bunch, not high, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so this is simple, folks. If you never go to a financial advisor and run your own life, Real simple. The best thing you could possibly do is to not have a mortgage by the time you retire, okay? And let's think about the behavior that goes with that, okay? So I think I read someplace, I don't know, the average person in America owns what, four or five houses, moves four or five times over their lifetime? Oh,
0: oh. Oh, they say you move every seven years Uh, or something like that? Yeah, Yeah, let's
1: pick a simple number, four times. Okay, all right. Okay, that's probably below what average people move. Four houses, okay? Okay. So you have your starter house, okay, which is the uh, one you almost couldn't afford. You got a big mortgage. <laughs> and by the way, you, you, if they could make a hundred year mortgages, you'd probably take out a hundred year uh-huh. mortgage to keep the payment low. Yeah. But you buy your starter home, okay, you got this mortgage you're struggling with, and then five years later you're moving to the you know, the kid friendly home that's got a couple more bedrooms, this that the other thing. So first question, did the house cost more or less house number two cost more or less than house number one? Uh, P- more. Probably more. And question number two. Do they, do they do a mortgage that ends on their 61th birthday, or do they do another 30-year mortgage to keep the payment down? Probably another 30. Probably another Probably. 30. Probably. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right. You're in that house for a while. You're doing well, and you want to upgrade, and you buy a third home, okay, that's maybe going to be your retirement home. Is that home bigger or smaller? Bigger. Did it cost more? probably cost more. Bigger and/or and or nicer. And by the way, yeah. and you have a bigger mortgage. Yeah. You, by the way, in the second home, you increase the size of your mortgage. And real, if, yeah, real estate tends to be more expensive yeah, as time yeah. goes on. Yeah. And the third home, you did it. Okay, and by the way, if you actually end up living in your retirement home the day you retire, let's call that your, let's just call it your third home mm-hmm. three times. Okay. So you have a bigger mortgage and you still went 30 years. If you bought your third home, bought your first home and say 30 and you bought your third home and say 45, I'm just making that up. Okay, so you're 45 years old, you got a bigger mortgage than you had when you were 25 or 30, and it goes for 30 years. 30 and 45 is 75. So you'll have a mortgage until you're age 75 in retirement. Okay, how's that sound? When do you retire? Yeah, when do you retire? That's what people do. Okay, no, okay, if you, every time you bought a home, okay, if you got the mortgage bigger, that's fine. But date the mortgage the date that you want to retire and live with it, okay? If you do nothing else in your life, you'll drop your expenses by 20, 30, 40%. If you did nothing, if you put all the money you saved under a mattress, you'd be better off doing that. And not having a mortgage than investing all the money in the world and having a big mortgage. No, okay? yeah, that's the biggest. Yeah, yeah, a big chunk of your expenses. Yeah, hello, n- n- I know this is not exciting, folks, and <laughs> in fact, sort of depressing. Let's see, live within your means, om. Live within your means, om. Get your mortgage paid off by the time retired, om. Okay, something like that. Okay, no, n- n- very few people do that. By the way, the ones that do are living the dream, Yeah. okay? Uh, Just think about it. You walk in the door and you're 30% ahead of anybody in terms of what the expenses are. How simple, how uncomplicated... Probability of success jumps. How bad radio is that to just do something boring like telling people to live within your means? eh, One of the things. All right. All right, we just got a minute or two, so I'm going to do my macroeconomic list here. All right. Okay, and so what have we learned in the last two hours? Number one, that your behavior... Okay, and your financial behavior is much more important than what your investment return is. It is stupendously more important than what your investment return is. Taxes. Most folks don't have a clue about exactly what tax bracket they're really in. Okay, don't know the future. Nobody knows the future, folks. Long-term investing is better than short-term. Live within your means. Oh. Live within your means. Oh. Get rid of your mortgage by the Own. time you retire. Oh. And on that note, we'll say sayonara and see you soon.